reading from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For surely... I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm to give you a future with hope. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. It's one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. I would wager that there is somebody in this room who's got that printed on a t-shirt somewhere in your t-shirt drawer if you're not wearing it today. And that's a good, there's a good reason for it. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. Plans to give you a future with hope. That's why we do what we do, right? To follow God's plans, to connect with God who gives us the thing that we want more than anything else, which is to say, a future with hope. This is the essence of our faith, our lives lived together, that we worship a God who has a plan for us, plans for our welfare and not for harm, to give us a future with hope. It's a good verse. It's a lovely verse, something to be cross-stitched and put on the wall. If that's a verse that you love, know that I love it too. But, but when you take that verse out of context, which we so often do, you miss out on the thing that makes it so powerful, and in a way it loses some of its shine. I mean, you know that that verse, while applicable to us, was not written directly to the people in the 21st century indicator, right? The Bible is thousands of years old. The story of Jesus is 2,000 years old. This story of the, of the story of the prophet Jeremiah is even older than that. So the context matters. 
In a way, the context helps me understand this verse to be even more powerful. Because God wasn't speaking to rich people, or powerful people, or white people. God was talking to an oppressed people, a people in exile. In their understanding, God had sent them into exile. And so I struggle to believe that when God talks about having a plan for our welfare and a future with hope, that God is promising you that you are going to win the lottery if you will just believe hard enough. I have trouble believing that God is promising you that you will escape pain. So often in the church we believe that if we just do the right things, if we follow the Ten Commandments, if we stay on the straight and narrow, we're going to end up with a life free from pain or we're going to end up being comfortably wealthy. And that's not it at all. A future with hope is not the same thing as a future with certainty or a future with comfort. I mention all of this to you because I've been spending some time in the last few weeks with a document that this church created some months before I arrived. It's called The Future Story. If you've not read it lately, you can find it on the church website, or I would encourage you to sign up on the church website to receive my weekly emails. I'll include a link in it. It's the result of hundreds and hundreds of hours of conversation and lots of work about what Decatur First wants to be. And it wasn't done by the staff, it was done by you. It's a remarkable document. I'll be talking in some detail about it today, but I hope you'll read it for yourself. It tells the story of a church which has had its struggles, which honestly every church has had its struggles, especially lately, but which was willing to take the time to work with God, to discern its own future with hope. It talks about a church that is connected. It talks about God doing something new and bold. And It tells the story of a church well, let me just read to you a part of it. The future story of Decatur First United Methodist Church is of a church whose people are in relationship with God, in relationship with each other, and in relationship with the Decatur community. Decatur First is a family where each person feels empowered to use his or her God-given gifts towards the task of building holy community and boldly spreading the transformative love of Jesus. As a church, we are commissioned to engage the vibrant, growing and diverse city that surrounds us. By 2025, our church and our community are inseparable. We're in Decatur. We're a part of Decatur. We're connected to Decatur. We're a beacon of God's hope and grace, a place of radical inclusion. Some may sing, some may teach, some may clean, some may cook, but all move in harmony as God's hands and feet in the community. We also know Decatur, it says. We have taken the time to learn what Decatur is, its needs, its concerns, its joys, and its passions. And we are out in it, using our gifts to build relationships of Christian love within our community. The congregation is empowered to go forth and serve in whatever ways God calls it, in the name of and with the blessing of Decatur First United Methodist Church. Friends, talk about a future with hope. That is powerful stuff. And it's right in line, I think, with what God calls every church to be. After all, our mission as United Methodists is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's quite a mission. 
And it reminds me a a lot of what God says to the Israelites in exile, to work for the welfare of the place where I have sent you, for in its welfare you will find yours. In other words, God does the work of transforming our hearts when we partner with God to transform our community and the world. And it sounds lovely, and it is, but that doesn't make it easy. If we want the future story to be something more than a nice document that we post on the church website, something that we cross-stitch and put on the wall, it's going to take intentional effort, the kind of effort that the Israelites had to put into their own future story. You heard that, right? God gave them a future story. This is the Israelites' future story. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find yours. You don't do that work on accident. Neither does a church transform its community and itself. By accident, it's one reason why I'm so grateful to be serving here in this place with you, with a church that takes this work so seriously. I got to tell you, church, I have an admission. I'm sort of in love with you. We don't have it all together, of course. Sometimes we get a little grumpy when things change. Now I'm just talking about myself. But this is a church that understands that ultimately its mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world and everything else is secondary. I'll give you a little example. You probably noticed, you may have noticed, uh, if you came in the North Candler entrance or follow the church on Facebook, last week we moved some furniture around. We created a gathering space with Wi-Fi and charging stations and, and, and tables and coffee, that magic liquid which ought to be the third sacrament of the Methodists. <laughs> it's all in the interest of being more welcoming and more connected. And in some ways, that space as it's currently laid out is a change for this church, a pretty big one. It's silly, I know we're modern people. I've been around churches where this kind of change would have brought about the second round of the Crusades. I'm not saying everybody's thrilled with the way it looks or with the coffee, but if there's been grumbling, not much of it has made it to my desk. That's a small thing, but it's remarkable. There are other things already referenced in the future story that we have already accomplished There's language about evaluating our worship services. That work continues to happen. It's ongoing. There's language about evaluating our physical plant. That work is ongoing. But you, just a couple of weeks ago, made a huge step forward as you made a bold decision to move forward with a plan to right-size our footprint, dream of what we could do with some considerable proceeds for the glory of God and the betterment of the community. In the grand scheme of things, maybe that seems like a small thing, but I've been around enough churches to know the kind of unanimity we saw in that decision is remarkable. I might even say miraculous. 
the decision to trust and to dream and make difficult decisions is remarkable. There's language in the future story about the need for expanded Christian education, even an expansion of what we mean by Christian education. Thanks to the leadership of our GROW team, the church has expanded these offerings both in number and scope. Some of those groups start this week. One of them afternoon, Thinking Man Tap delights me to no end. You know that half the hymns in the hymn book started out as bar songs, right? It's right in line with our future story. It may seem like a small thing, but it's remarkable. I could go on and on about the ways in which you have made progress towards this story. You restructured the church council. You created what are essentially research and development money funds for our vision teams. Grow, connect, engage, and worship to try new things and to see what sticks. We've hired staff, not just skilled at doing ministry, but skilled at resourcing other people to do ministry so that you can be the leaders that the church and the community need in this day and at this time. They may seem like small things, but they are remarkable. Even still, I will acknowledge that it sometimes feels like things move slower than we would like. The master plan team continues to work on what the campus ought to look like for the coming generations. That work is ongoing. We aren't as connected as a church as the document dreams will be. That work is ongoing. We have a ways to go towards becoming the missional church. We dream that we'll be. That work is ongoing. I will admit, as a pastor, I sometimes get frustrated at the state of things. I hope that I have not parlayed that frustration onto you. It's just that so often the church moves at the speed of church. And when you're ready to get going, it can be frustrating, I know. But this is where I find Jeremiah helpful. For one, God says the Israelites are to live in exile, live out their future story for, and I'm sorry to tell you this, 70 years before it comes to fruition. Our future story envisions that this will all be accomplished by 2025. And yet we have made remarkable progress toward that goal. There's another thing, though, and, and this, is, this is critical. It's absolutely critical, both to what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the world and what it means to have a future with hope. Critical. When God sends the Israelites to be in mission with and to the Babylonians, the Israelites weren't told to start by telling the Babylonians what they needed. God didn't say, take the future story that I've been, have given to you and go give it to the Babylonians. I mean, they need God, obviously. But as it relates to the mission of God, the business of transforming the world, the Israelites didn't start by saying, here's our story. Let's go tell God says to go out among the people to plant things and wait for them to come up. To get married and to have kids and build houses. All of these things involve erasing the boundaries that separate us and them. Working for the welfare of the city where you've been sent means you've got to listen to the people to find out what they need. 
If you are sent to a place where everybody's emaciated and the crops are dried up, that's one thing. It's obvious what those folks need. But if you are sent someplace else, and my friends, you have been sent someplace else, you got to ask people what they need. you got to listen. The future story says it this way. These aren't my words. These are yours. We have taken the time to learn what Decatur is. Its needs, its concerns, its joys, and its passions. You can't just assume. you got to listen. And that listening is critical. It is critical to being connected to the mission. In a church this size, you Psychologists tell us that people can really about 150 other people. That includes your family, your friends, your co-workers, and people at the church, everybody. We worship 500 people on a Sunday. On any given month, we have well over 1,000 folks walk through the doors of the church for worship and for programming. You can't know everybody, but you can listen. You can be open to what one another needs. Be willing to share yourself with others. Invest in a small group so that you can have the accountability that comes with connection. You can be open to new people walking in the door for the first time if you are vulnerable enough to remember just how intimidating it is to open those big, heavy doors for the first time. What's more, you can't know what the community needs until you ask them. And it sounds obvious, but it's harder than you might think. you got to be intentional about it. you got to make relationships. you got to talk to business owners and political leaders and the police and the fire department. you got to talk to teachers and people who are homeless and social, uh, social service providers. If you're going to share your faith in Jesus, and you're supposed to share your faith in Jesus, that is part of the deal. You've got to build houses and plant gardens and have families and know the people. If you want to build a future with hope, you've got to work for the welfare of the place where you have been sent, this place right here inside and outside its doors. Friends, we've made a tremendous amount of progress towards the vision that you discern, not me, but you. This is not the church that I walked into two years and some months ago. That progress is because of your hard work and God's deep faithfulness. But if we're going to take the next step in this journey together, we've got to listen. Not just passively, but actively listen to what God is doing in the world and to what people need. And every person in this room has got to play a role in that story or else it's not going to work. At the end of the day, the truth is that a few difficult decisions does not a future secure. Can I say that one more time? A few difficult decisions does not a future secure. The Israelites knew this. You know this. There's work yet to be done. It wouldn't be worth doing if all we had to do was sit back and wait. And yet, yet as we gather on this beautiful Sunday morning, I am reminded that God has a plan 
for each of us and all of us together. Plans for our welfare and not to harm. Plans for a future with hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.